Can I welcome you all here this Sunday morning? It's good to see you, whether you're joining with us in person or online. You're very welcome. Just before um, Tim speaks, I'm going to invite Alice Mitchell up to read from our passage. Our passage this morning is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 4. And then I'll hand over to Tim. Tim is well known to us here in Crescent, one of our regular Bible teachers. And we've been very blessed by what you've said to us in the past, so we look forward to what you have to say. So, Alice, and then on to Tim. Um, our passage from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was off the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in needs, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or truth or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are off the truth and reassure, reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because, he keeps, we, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandments, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Amen. Well, thank you, uh, Duncan, and thank you, Alice. It is good to be back with you and be opening up the scriptures together. As Duncan says, um, you have the privilege, I have the privilege of um, both this week and next week. Um, but do please keep that passage open as we, we look at it together. We're back in 1 John chapter 3. Love is perhaps the most overused, yet mis most misunderstood word in the, our English language. My Google search engine provided me with 17.2 billion entries in 0.5 seconds when I searched it this week. Yet if I were to read through just a few of those entries, I'm sure I would end up massively confused about this thing called love. What do you think of when you think of love? It could almost be anything from, from romance to your family to your preferences, your hobbies, or even this notion of self-love. And it also seems to me that, that, that the discussions about love have become more prevalent in our public square and in our political discourse between the intolerant tolerance agenda, debates about human sexuality and gender, even immigration policies and nationalism. The way of love has been claimed by people of all types and persuasions. It all becomes so confused, even tiresome. And I wonder if even in the church, there's a, a similar sort of apathy that can creep in. 
Love can become such a broad, catch-all term that we feel little, if anything at all, when we speak of it. Well, as we've found in John's letter, he's pretty good at cutting through the noise and getting to the point. And so we're going to look at that theme of love in our passage this morning. And Dan showed us last week this big theme in the letter of John, that as children of God, we have his life in us. And so there's a family likeness, there's a family trait that comes through and is on display for all to see. And as we pick up that same theme in our passage this morning, if you look at at verse number 11, I wonder if you noticed that both the start and the end of our reading have been bracketed with this same point. Verse number 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And then again in verse 23, And this is the commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. This is the message. This is the commandment. The key mark of the true children of God is that they love one another. So what does John have to say about love? And, and, And what much needed clarity can he bring us about what it means and looks like to love one another. Well, the big idea in our passage this morning is that that love for one another comes from, comes through an ongoing faithfulness to the original gospel of Christ's sacrificial love. Love for one another comes from the original gospel of Christ's sacrificial love. And this genuine love in action will deepen our life with God. So I just want to break that down in in, in two parts. Firstly then, verses 11 to, to 18, love for one another comes from faithfulness to the original gospel of Christ's sacrificial love. For John, this isn't a new campaign or, or a new strategy to, to achieve or to promote love. Did you notice in verse number 11, that little phrase that we've had a few times in the letter already, this is the message that you heard from the beginning. If you look back to chapter 2, we had it in verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. Again, chapter 2, verse 7, Beloved, I am writing no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. And of course, famously, chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning. This is John's goal. His goal is to clarify, to confirm what is true, the the original gospel. He says, I was there. This is straight from the source. I am bringing you the message from the, 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 the original message as had been delivered so that now every subsequent generation can have it. And, and this is the message, the announcement that God has come and offers life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And for now, he wants us to see that there is one unavoidable consequence that comes through this new life in this gospel, and that is love for one another. Well, in John's unique style, he's going to describe this love for one another with two stark contrasts. Firstly, he defines it negatively in verse number 12 through 15. And then secondly, in verse number 16, he will demonstrate it to us 
positively. Verse number 12 to 15, we should not be like Cain, he starts. Cain, infamous, of course, for murdering his brother Abel back in Genesis chapter 4. And you may well say, I didn't come here this morning feeling very much like Cain. But John, on this theme of family traits, remind us that if we don't have a love for one another, then we're displaying traits that would indicate that we are off the family of Cain. And he reminds us that Cain comes from the evil one. As always in this letter, we can hear echoes of the words of Jesus when he similarly called out the religious elite of his day. Just like Cain, they were outwardly religious, but it was shown to be a bogus shell. And Jesus said to those in his day, you are off your father, the devil. You see, if we don't have love for one another, John is saying, then we cannot claim to have the life of Christ in us. A lack of love and the life of Christ are like oil and water. They they cannot go together. They cannot mix. In the same way, you can't be both dead and alive. You can't be spiritually alive and have a lack of love. He says in verse 14, whoever does not love abides in death. So John is determined to point us back to the original gospel the true original gospel message because it leads to life and that life leads to a real and genuine love for one another. So let us be wary of the example of Cain that it is possible to be outwardly religious. It is possible to be quite popular and successful in Christendom But our love or our lack of love will be telling as to whether we are faithful to the true gospel of life or not. That's neg- the, the, the negative definition in, 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 in 12 to 15. Then in, in 16, he turns to show us the mark of new life in Christ. John contrasts Cain to Christ, the one who was a murderer, to the one who was murdered. In Cain, we see that hatred will lead to murder, but in Christ, we see that love will lead to sacrifice. This is how we know what love is, John says in verse 16. He laid down his life for us. Jesus defines for us love. He set aside the glory of heaven to experience the struggle of earthly life. He continuously puts others above himself. He is tender to those who are in need. He patiently serves others, and ultimately, when it came down to it, he willingly suffered the agony of the cross. He took upon himself the sin of the world. He gave his life away to offer life to us. Jesus defines love. In his own words, he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Love does not destroy. Love does not take life. 
Love gives its own life so that others may live. And as Tim Keller puts it, before love is something you do, it has to be someone you meet. Before love is something you do, it has to be someone you've met. And John wants us to first meet love in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I've got to ask this morning, have you met Jesus Christ? Have you come to know the love of God in Jesus Christ? Because that's where this whole passage is built upon. Perhaps you're a visitor with us this morning and you're, you're interested in Christian things, but you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian. Have you met Jesus Christ? Because this is the heart of the original authentic gospel that John is inspired to record and pass on to us, that Jesus Christ has laid down his life for us. God is a giver, not one who takes. Whoever you are, whatever you have done, he has demonstrated his love to you in Jesus Christ. He has given all he has to give. Jesus Christ has given himself as a substitute. He died for your sins so that you can be free from the consequences of sin, of failure, and of death. And this morning, this original gospel still stands true. You're offered new life through the incredible love of Jesus. But to those of us this morning who are believers who have met Jesus, we rejoice in his love We live because of his love. And so John says, verse number 16, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Once again, you can almost hear the echoes of the words of Jesus in the upper room. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just just like it's in the nature of the sun to shine, it's in the nature of God to give himself. And that love nature is the mark of new life in us. He goes on, verse number 17, if we don't love one another, then the love of God can't be in us. Neither our love for God nor God's love for us. We don't have it if it's not seen in love for one another. And verse number 18 If we don't love with concrete actions, then we don't truly love. Again, John doesn't miss the mark. Since we have come to know it, since we have experienced it, now live it. A a, a willingness to practically spend ourselves for the good of others just the way we have been loved by Jesus. That's what sharing the the very life of God will look like. So what does that look like? John will say in verse number 18, talk is cheap. It needs to be with concrete actions. And we might not ever be in a situation where we have to you know, risk our lives in a, a Tony Stark-like Iron Man moment to save the world. But what does it look like for us to give up, to, to lay down our lives in, in, in a way like the Lord Jesus? Well, there are many things we could mention, but here's a few to help us think it through. Firstly, our time. This love in action will impact how we organize our time. That's pretty basic, isn't it? We won't be able to love each other or love other people well with the passing hello or a casual, how are you? 
Loving each other will take time with one another, and that will be costly. We're all at different stages of life. Many of God-given responsibilities, and so need to be thoughtful about how we invest our time, but we need to invest time if we're to appropriately put other people first. Perhaps you're a student, and you have so-called summer holidays. For most of us, a holiday is at maximum two weeks. What you have is closer to an annual sabbatical. How are you going to use those four months? You'll probably never have a time in your life when you'll have as much time as you have now to invest in loving others. Our time, maybe our home. Lots of us have homes, kitchen table, a few chairs. That's something that we can use to love others well with. It doesn't have to be too much. There's lots of brothers and sisters here who would love to share a meal in your home. It doesn't have to be M&S and a homemade cake, a cup of tea and a biscuit, pasta, some mince in a jar, something easy. Perhaps there are others you can think of, and it would be good to have them over to your home for a meal before the summer is out. There are many things, maybe this one's a bit more meta, our image. This sort of love in action will, will open up our lives and, 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 and cause us to connect together. And we're generally very good at, at looking the part to the outside and to the public, but often there can be a fear of losing face, of losing our image, such that we're not honest and we don't share our joys and our struggles and our heartaches and our sins or our prayers or our praises. Loving one another well will mean getting beyond the external image and perhaps giving up something of the image that we portray. Having our lives complicated a little bit by the struggles of others, but also entrusting ourselves to the love and care of others. There are many other things which we can have in our resource box, if you like, to give to others. Maybe it's your skills, practical skills, your experience. For most of us, we're, we're older than, than others in, 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 in the church family. We can listen to their situations when we're appropriate, share our experiences, share the grace of God that it, we have experienced in our lives. Our prayers, you could paraphrase verse 18, couldn't you? Little children, let us not merely say we're going to pray for one another, but actually pray in deed and in truth. And of course, you couldn't read this passage and not think about our money. This sort of love in action that John has in mind is going to impact our bank accounts. We could go on. Those are just some things to get us thinking about what it looks like to love others the way we have been loved by Jesus. And I can testify that I have experienced love in this way from others in this church family in each of those different departments over the years. And it's worth highlighting there is so much wonderful service and love that goes on across this church family. All of you who are preparing for this week at Community Week to give something of yourselves, be encouraged that you're reflecting the nature of the family of God in those acts of service. Before we move on, it's worth pointing out that there is a particular difficulty in loving your brothers and sisters. I work with my sisters, and we just know sometimes how to push each other's buttons. 
And the more you get to know me, I'm pretty confident the harder I will be to love. But I'm also confident the more I get to know you, the harder you might be to love. But we've been called to love one another as we've been loved by Jesus Christ, as we've come to know it in the original gospel. Secondly, verse 19 to 24. This genuine love in action deepens our life with God. John knows this loving one another is not at all straightforward. And so he focuses here in verse number 19 and 20 to the issue of the heart. Now these verses can be a little bit tricky, so let's look at them carefully. Verse number 19 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So what does it mean in this context of loving one another to reassure our heart? And again, in the context of loving one another, what does it mean for our heart to condemn us? Well, this word for for reassure, this verb for reassure can, can mean literally to persuade or to convince And that kind of makes sense to me. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and persuade or convince our heart before him. I wonder if you find when you think about this call to sacrificial love that your heart might need persuaded and convinced. I wonder do you find when you think about this call to, to sacrifice, there's a, there's, a, there's a thought that pops up that sort of argues, don't you think that's a bit far? I mean, that's going to cost. I know I certainly have a heart that behaves like that. And so verse number 20, whenever our heart com- condemns us, that's what it's doing, isn't it? It, it pushes back. It, it reveals that there's still a, an impulse within us that wants to avoid the sacrifice of love. You see, the heart in Scripture is the, is the center of who we are. It's where our values, our decisions are made that are then worked out in our behavior. And if our heart is not convinced or persuaded to love sincerely, then it's going to betray us. It's going to condemn us. I think that matches our experience, doesn't it? Our hearts must be reasoned with in the presence of God to be generous like him. You know, there isn't a brand of super-Christian who, who wakes up every morning magically wanting to love perfectly and sacrifice everything. That doesn't exist, and if that's not you, that's okay. John is describing the nuts and bolts of, of love in action, how it happens here and now. There's a spiritual battle that's contested in the heart of every believer, a confrontation that plays out in the daily grind between the new life of God that puts others first, and our old selfish desire to protect our own interests at all costs. That's why it's so critical that before love is something we do, it has to be someone you've met. You see, if our continual attitude of our heart is, do I have to do that for them? Or if they didn't make such foolish decisions, they wouldn't be in that problem or I've earned what I've got. Why would I share it with them? If that's the attitude of our heart, then that will work itself out and that will condemn us. 
You see, if we are not convinced and persuaded in our heart with the greater transforming power of the love of God demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ, then be warned, John says. God knows everything. And we will face judgment. And the evidence will show us there's no life in God in us. There's no faking it. So perhaps we can reflect, what is it in our hearts that holds us back from loving each other in deed and in truth? Is there something going on in my heart that needs to be reasoned with, that needs to be repented of? How does it change when I consider the great example of the good shepherd who laid down his life for me? How does the incredible kindness and generosity of Jesus persuade and convince us to repent and live out this life of love? And you see, when our hearts dwell on Jesus and are convinced to deny selfish instincts, there is within us a genuine desire to follow in his footsteps. Then we have confidence before God. We we know we have eternal life. And this genuine love in action deepens our life with God. Not because we always get it right or because we tot up our sacrifices or the things we do. Because we, we learn this transformed heart and there's evidence that backs it up. And there's signs of grace in our lives that are evidence of the new life of Christ which has taken hold In verse 22, John goes on, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Loving others as he has, loving others as he commands, it's a sign that there's a healthy relationship going on. It's a description of the deepening life shared with God. And and what struck me from this verse is the irony, the irony that, that those who give themselves away in love for others receive from him. You see, we could leave this passage thinking, okay, well, I, well, I do love Christ, but, but I do also love my comforts and my, and my resources. So, so maybe I'll, 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 I'll try and work up a stronger love for Christ that will help me sacrifice these things, but I really do still really love those. But that's only half the picture. If that's our mindset, then, then we're assuming that the Christ is calling us to be a loser, And we have to sort of grit out our teeth and push through like it's the dentist. But of course, faithfulness to the gospel, being part of God's family, doesn't leave us at a loss. We need to know when we're making these hard decisions to use what we have to love others, that Christ is kind. He will always be generous. He doesn't come to take but to give. And in fact, from a certain perspective, we don't ultimately end up giving anything when we give it to Christ. It may seem for a time like we lose. It certainly will feel costly as we've considered, but sacrificing the comforts and the resources we have for others will lead to a deepening life, abiding with God. And that is the joy-filled life that John has been presenting to us in this letter. And trusting in Christ, God is offering us joy, the delight of sharing his life, knowing him, and in a relationship where he provides whatever we need. So as we conclude, 
with verse 23 and 24, John joins together these two great themes. He's been clear on the purpose of his letter. From the first paragraph to the end, he is writing to bolster and reinforce our commitment to Jesus Christ and his gospel. Hold strong to Jesus. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, he says in verse 23. If we're undecided on Jesus, or if we're not continually reinforcing the original gospel message to our hearts and minds, then our relationships with one another will never be deep and healthy. If we don't have this, the rest is just meaningless good intentions. Hold fast to the truth about Jesus Christ. And then from that new life with Jesus flows a real love for one another. Even in the complexities of our human hearts, the love of Christ will win. He loves us, wins our hearts with his generous grace and changes us so that we can freely give to one another. So let's throw ourselves into loving one another for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the inspiration of your spirit through your servant John to record for us the authoritative eyewitness testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ, God made flesh among us. We thank you that in this good news, this proclamation, there is life with you to be had through Jesus Christ. We pray that we would be bolstered and strengthened in our commitment to the Lord Jesus and his gospel. And we pray that as we meditate on him, as we think on him, as we consider what he has done for us, that our hearts will be persuaded, convinced, transformed to be loving to one another. So we commit ourselves and the work of your word through your spirit to our hearts in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Tim. Maybe after the service is finished in the cafe or later on this afternoon, you could take some time to think about what that looks like in your life to live with this sacrificial love. I think it's really um, fitting, particularly this week as we go into community week, to think about what that life committed to Jesus in sacrificial love would look like.